In this podcast episode, we want to introduce you to our BCEN friend, Ed Hunt. Michael Dexter and Mark Eggers talk with Ed about going from radio and journalist to nursing. For 14 years, he was a newspaper reporter. After 9-11, he joined his local fire department and became a firefighter and EMT. From there, he began his life in the world of emergency nursing. This episode is called From Radio to Nursing. Hello, and welcome to BCN and Friends podcast, where we hold interesting conversations about learning with a range of thought leaders, BCN certification holders, and industry professionals. But most importantly, create value and insight for you, our professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. We hope you find our discussions interesting, informative, sometimes funny, sometimes serious, but always valuable. I'm Mark Eggers, Manager of Education Technology Services at BCN, and one of your hosts for today. I'm joined by my co-host, Michael Dexter, Director of Professional Development at BCN. Hi, Michael. Hello, Mark. In this episode of BCN and Friends, we have Ed Hunt. Michael, could you please tell us about our BCN and friend, Ed? Yeah, I'd be happy to. Ed Hunt is a BCEN certified nurse working in the ER in Southwest Washington State. Ed currently works at two hospitals. One is a tiny six-bed ER in a coastal tourist town, and the other is a larger 44-bed ER in a metro area. Nursing is a second career for Ed. For 14 years, he was a newspaper reporter and early pioneer of online journalism in the late 1990s and early 2000s. After 9-11, however, he joined his local fire department and became a firefighter and EMT. While training to be an EMT, he fell in love with emergency nursing. Ed says that emergency nursing is instant gratification nursing. People come in, you figure out what's wrong and get them feeling better. He's still writing, maintaining a monthly newspaper column up until the start of the pandemic and self-publishing books of his essays. You can find his writing at redtriage.com. Ed, welcome to the BCN and Friends podcast. It is a pleasure to have you with us today. It's, a, it's great to be here. I'm glad uh, you guys invited me. Yeah, well, it just sounds like a very interesting career. We mentioned you uh, working as a journalist and working as an EMT. Can you tell us a little bit more about your uh, radio and journalism and then how you transitioned from that into a nursing career? Sure. I, I tend to stumble into careers. Uh, um, I started working in radio when I was in high school. I I had a job, uh, a summer job working uh, at the front desk. And then one of the managers there just kind of put me on the air and, and said I had a good voice for radio and, and I was smooth. Uh, so I did that. I went to college at Washington State University, which has a good broadcast journalism program. Uh, I got bored with the broadcast journalism part and started working for newspapers very early on there. I worked for the, the daily newspaper and uh, I worked as a stringer for some magazines while I was at Washington State University and uh, worked my way through college, uh, working for the local newspaper, got out, got a job in uh, writing for newspapers, uh, got a job down here at the coast uh, where my wife is from and worked at the local newspaper here covering everything from cops and courts to uh, the school board to major environmental issues, having to deal with forests and salmon and, and uh, natural resource management. Stumbled into online uh, journalism very early on in the, in the 90s when there was barely even ed- internet connection down here on the coast. Uh, developed that into a magazine with several people uh, working for me, uh, newspaper uh, uh, online reporters were working for me at that time, giving us stories covering up and down the coast, natural resource and community development issues. Um, had a lot of people following it. 
Uh, we pioneered a lot of the things you see now with online fundraising and online advertising, um, newsletters, blogs, even podcasts. We were kind of early uh, on the cutting edge of that, challenging what the technology was available for us. Uh, but after 9-11, um, I felt like I was just kind of gathering uh, information and putting it out there, but I wasn't really going out and interacting with other human beings and helping people that needed helping. My brother had been a paramedic in New Jersey for many years uh, on 9-11. He was actually called to the scene uh, to help victims that unfortunately never came. Uh, my dad uh, worked at the Pentagon and uh, luckily wasn't at work that day, but uh, as I sat and watched the TV with everybody else that day and tried to do my journalism thing, I felt like I should be one of those people that uh, gets out the door and helps. And so I joined my local fire department, volunteer, all volunteer in, in Wakaikum County where I live. Matter of fact, there's not even a single paramedic in the county. It's all uh, EMT basics out here. Uh, and in Washington State, when you're doing uh, your EMT training, they put you in an emergency department uh, for a shift so that you get a feel of what's on the other end, you know, how they receive the ambulances um, and the information they're looking for and how important what you tell them and what you do is to them. It's really a, a, a good thing that they add to their training. So I spent the night at uh, Columbia Memorial Hospital in Astoria with um, uh, a male nurse there and a couple doctors and uh, it was a Saturday night in the tourist season, uh, bars were closing and all kinds of people were coming in and uh, I just loved it. So I, I came home and for about six months I researched nursing uh, and um, tried to build up an argument that I was going to make to my wife that I was going to leave this career where I was the editor-in-chief of uh, Tidepool.org, quit, go back to school, become a nurse. When I finally brought it up to my wife, she said, oh yeah, I was gonna tell you, you should do that. You came back from that evening in the emergency room. So excited about that. I knew that was something that you were gonna fall in love with. So always ask your wife first, she's pretty smart. Well, that's great. It's great that she was so supportive of it too. Yeah, well, she's so supportive of everything I do. Uh, I actually, it was about 2003, 2004, and um, the company that uh, published my magazine was actually contracting at that time. They came to us and said, you need to lay off a couple people because uh, of these budget cuts coming down the pike. Uh, so I actually laid myself off uh, at that meeting, um, used the worker retraining uh, money offered to help pay for my nursing school. And that preserved wow. two other employees that were working for me at the time. Wow, that's great. Uh, so I started out, uh, I got a job as a LPN, well, first as an emergency room technician, uh, and then as an LPN while I was finishing nursing school at this little tiny hospital, not here, you know, not far from here, Ocean Beach Hospital. Kind of learned, uh, you know, as much as I could from that tiny little hospital uh, back, that was 17 years ago, 16 years ago. Uh, it was a lot slower, a lot less busy then than it is now. And uh, so I provided an opportunity to kind of learn with each patient. And it was a great, uh, great place to learn. Uh, then I went to the big city and uh, found out what uh, uh, CEN was all about, found out uh, about the Emergency Nursing Association and, and um, all these other great professional development tools at the big city hospital. And I was charge nurse in the emergency room. Um, 
at that uh, hospital for about eight years. Uh, and then I decided to come back to the little hospital when my mom retired to uh, the beach. And then just this summer, I'm I'm back at the big city hospital, and I'm down per diem at the little tiny hospital. Wow! Well, that sounds like a great uh, great way your career has has shifted. You know, as you mentioned, from journalism into nursing. And I know, although the the title and the career may change, we we pick up different components along the way. And so, tell me a little bit about your interview process and the way that you talked with people in journalism and how that has impacted the way that you deal with either charge nurse issues that you have to talk to families or the way you triage different ones. Um, can you tell me how that's all kind of intertwined over the years and, and where you've seen the benefit in both? Sure. In, in journalism, uh, your job when you write an, an old-fashioned newspaper story is to write what is the most important thing. And then the next most important thing and the next most important thing. But you always have to put the most important thing up in what they call the lead uh, of the story. The problem is when you go to interview somebody, they might not know what the most important thing is. Uh, often they don't. Uh, often you develop that in talking to them by asking them questions, by digging down a little bit to find out what the most important thing is. Often when we triage patients, it's similar. Patient comes in, you ask them why they're there. They might tell you their life story. They might tell you, um, you know, something minor that has been bothering them for a while, but they might not know what the most important thing is when they come in. And so I use those skills that I learned as a journalist and, and refined as a journalist in my triage process to cut through a lot of the, um, a lot of the things that the, the baggage that people are bringing in with them, the things that they're worried about, the things that uh, have been going on for a long time to drill down to the most important thing, the most, it's not just the chief complaint, but the most acute thing or the most important thing that we need to investigate and resolve in that emergency department visit. And so I found those interview skills have been uh, very important over the years and getting to the bottom very quickly of what the, the reason that they're coming into the ER for. And I notice a lot of times, you know, with me and my coworkers that uh, the doctor will come in to talk to the patient and the patient will tell a different story than they told the nurse. And as humans, we're very used to not telling the same story over and over again in the exact same way. Um, I think that goes back to our campfire days when we were passing on oral histories to each other. We wanted to spice it up every time we told the story. So I noticed that with patients too, they come in, they'll tell me one story, I'll walk out of the room, they'll think about it a little bit, and then when the doctor comes in, uh, they'll tell the story a little bit different way, and the doctor will come out saying, you know, this patient is having this, and you didn't mention that in your triage note. So I try to get ahead of that by gathering as much information as I can and drilling down to the very most important things uh, so that we're all on the same page. And so that the patient is getting treated for the thing that's most important, to their health and well-being. Right. Hey, that's great insight. Thank you for sharing that with us. And, you know, uh, there's there's so much of journalism, and as you mentioned, the, the oral stories and, and passing on information, but there's so much of it tied to communication. And so with that background of journalism and nursing, what communication tips or techniques would you 
tell other nurses or what what strategies do you try to provide to newer nurses in communicating like you do and, and like you feel is important to communicate with the care team and with the patients? Well, I am a firm believer of triage. And a triage is a, a process that starts when you first see the patient and doesn't end until you dispo that patient, that patient leaves your care. You're constantly reevaluating how sick the patient is, what needs to be done for them, uh, where their course is going to go, whether they're there for a splinter in their toe or, you know, a heart attack. Um, so communication is, is something that is a constant part of that process. You're constantly talking to that patient, getting an idea of where they're at, getting their, you know, even if it's not a health thing, where their mind is at, uh, where their stress level is at, their understanding of their course of care is also super important. Um, I try to tell people what the expected course of care is when I put them in a room. You know, the doctor's going to come in, we're likely going to do a, a chest x-ray, some lab work, then there's going to be some waiting time. You're going to have to wait for those test results to come back, and it could be an hour. Uh, we're going to give you some medicine to make you feel better. We're going to check. We might can give you some more if that doesn't do the job. Setting those expectations up so that the patients aren't expecting it to work like a TV show, um, that helps them lower their stress level. The, the more unknowns we have in our life, the more um, uh, questions we have hanging out there, the higher the stress level, the more difficult it is to get their pain under control um, and uh, the happier they are. Um, and that way you also don't miss things that develop along the, the way. Um, so constant communication. I start my patient teaching from the, my first minute that I talk to the patient. Here are some of the things that we're going to be looking for. Here's why we are testing these things. Um, and here is what it means if they come back positive or negative. A perfect example is troponins. Uh, here it is. We do serial troponins, chest pain. You come in, we test a bunch of things. I always explain to them, you know, we're testing the we're doing an EKG looking at the electronical uh, functioning of your heart, and we're going to do uh, these cardiac enzymes. And I explained to them what cardiac enzymes are, why we test them, why we test them more than once. Uh, you know, a lot of times when that lab technician walks in for that, you know, one hour or three hour troponin, they're like, was something wrong? Why am I getting tested again? And so if I set that expectation early, that's not a point of additional stress for them when that lab technician comes in or when we don't send them home after the doctor comes in and says all the initial labs look good. So um, the more I can tell them the story of what their visit is likely gonna be, uh, the less their stress, uh, the easier uh, their visit. And um, usually the, it seems like the, the better they do and the better understanding when we do send them home uh, or we do admit them to the hospital uh, of how they got to that point. So it's less of a surprise, less of a shock to them. So it's, it's a lot of talking, as you can tell. I, I am a bit of a motor mouth. I, that constant communication with them uh, really makes a big difference uh, in, in the course of care, I think. Yeah, great points. I appreciate that. And I, I did want to ask you just two more quick questions. And, and one of them is, you mentioned being a motor mouth, but... As far as typing and journalism, we had talked about red triage. Can you just briefly tell us what led to red triage and what red triage is? Sure. Uh, I've always had, uh, well, up until the pandemic, the pandemic kind of, I don't know, for some reason brought a halt to my writing. 
but I've always had a newspaper column, like a monthly newspaper column in all my years of journalism. And, and actually, uh, you know, my 16 years as a, um, a nurse, I've had a column, usually not about nursing, uh, more about, I, I do a lot of traveling, a lot of recreation, um, but I've always had a, a, a column, an outlet for my writing. Uh, when I first got into nursing, I wanted to have an outlet uh, for my writing about the medical field. Um, it wasn't just me telling stories. Uh, obviously, there's privacy reasons why I can't just tell, you know, this patient came into this hospital and this is what we did for him, or this is a funny story. It's more about trying to wrap our head around big issues out there uh, in the profession, in the management of emergency departments, things to think about when we're um, you know, taking care of patients, things that are important to patients that we might not think about, um, that I hear feedback from patients and, and just experiences there. So I created Red Triage, which is just a, um, it's a, a fancy blog uh, back from the blog days and um, where I can write whatever I wanna write, whenever I wanna write it. Um, occasionally things get picked up uh, from one of my newspaper editors uh, from that forum. A couple other uh, publications have picked something up from there uh, or I've offered it to them. And then I'm on Twitter too, just to kind of keep in touch with what's going on with uh, doctors and nurses in emergency medicine uh, around the world, actually. It's uh, a night shift for the last 16 years. Uh, I tend to interact with a lot of folks from Australia and uh, 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 the United Kingdom who are uh, up when I'm uh, working and uh, sleeping when uh, things are in the daytime here. So, Yeah, well, that's neat. So in speaking of, of all of the online communication that you do and, and the people that you interact with around the world, for, from your perspective, what is the importance of a, of a lifelong learner? What is the importance of continuously interacting with those people and continuously learning more and more about medical education? Oh, boy. Lifelong learning has been a passion of mine. Uh, boy, my dad told me when I was in, I think, grade school, I asked him when was school over. And, and he worked for NASA, and he's worked for um, all sorts of, of things, and only with a bachelor's degree. But at the same time, he's always been taking classes, always learning new skills, always learning new things. And his career has taken him all over the place. And he said, learning never stops. You know, you, if, you're, if you stop learning, you're dead. And you can always learn a new thing, challenge your mind, and add something um, that will enrich your life uh, or help your career. And, and he says, usually if it's helping your career, it's enriching your life. And if it's enriching your life, it's going to help whatever you're doing on the professional level. So he's very wise in that point, And he taught me that at a very young age. And so I was, I was a little afraid of going back to school. You know, I, like I said, I was kind of at the top of my game. I was the editor in chief of this pioneering publication. Uh, I was actually going and, and speaking to uh, journalism professors and explaining, you know, what was coming down the pike. And so going from that expertise to you know, starting from scratch and uh, at 32, 34 years old and becoming a novice again, that was a big challenge. What came out of that, though, was so enriching. And and um, and so I've loved adding things to my nursing career in terms of professional development since then. 
um, things that are beyond the requirements. Um, uh, ENPCC is one of those things where um, at the little hospital I worked at at the beach, we didn't do much pediatrics. Uh, it's a retirement community. There's a larger hospital nearby that does pediatrics, so we just don't see a lot of sick kids there. When I went to the big city, that was the thing that scared the, the heck out of me was these kids, you know, and especially little babies, neonates. And so I've really enjoyed um, adding that knowledge base to make me much more comfortable with those patients. Uh, and when I'm more comfortable, the patients are and the parents are more comfortable. Um, so I loved adding uh, those uh, professional courses and and um, uh, going beyond the minimum requirements of whatever department I'm working with. Uh, um, I recently took a uh, neonatal resuscitation course uh, that was being offered by actually uh, one of the other nurses that I worked with and um, just really helped in terms of keeping the different parameters of those neonates in mind when they do come to you. It's obviously a highly stressful situation and and you want to approach it with confidence. Um, I'm always trying to learn new things. Uh, uh, in fact, this uh, winter, my daughters are going to be uh, both off at college. I'm going to have the house to myself with me and my wife. We'll be empty nesters, and I'm going to start uh, doing the uh, doing flying lessons. So I'm going to try to get my pilot's license within the next year. So wow, that's really neat. Yeah, the more you learn, I mean, it really. Uh, the little hospital teaches me things that I need at the big hospital. The big hospital teaches me things uh, that I can use at the little hospital. The little hospital, you're often the only nurse there. One nurse, one doctor, one tech is what's staffed 24 hours there. And so whatever comes in the door, you're the nurse that has to deal with it. And uh, so the more knowledge I can have, the more professional understanding of things, then the more confidence I can bring uh, when those patients come in the door and um, uh, keep everybody uh, calm, cool, and collected and, and do what's best for my patient, my patient's family. Yeah, well, that's great. Well, thank you for all of the, the comments and the insight. I'm going to turn it over to Mark for some more questions. But again, thank you so much for being here and, and sharing this knowledge with all of us. Great. Oh, thank you for asking me. It's appreciated. So, and I'm going to ask uh, some uh, non-nursing questions, I guess you would say. I'll, I'll, I come to you from a different direction. So uh, can you tell me about a person or a moment in your career that's greatly impacted you? Oh, um, yeah. So uh, I've never talked about this before. Uh, so my sister, uh, I, have a, I had a sister who's four years older than me. And uh, she was diagnosed with lung cancer This is almost 10 years ago now. Uh, she was young, healthy, never smoked, was at work when they called her and told her she needed to get into the hospital right away uh, with a pericardial effusion and um, uh, was diagnosed with lung cancer stage four, was given just a short time to live. And so much about her journey um, until she passed away uh, gave me a lot of insight from the patient perspective of communication, um, taking time and being patient, uh, understanding how hard it was to navigate the medical system outside of the emergency department. Uh, and emergency doctors and nurses, uh, 
intervened and saved her life in several ways during that journey, um, several times. Uh, so it's one of those things that uh, when I'm interacting with patients, I always try to keep those lessons that I learned uh, in mind, whether it's a, a cancer patient and, and knowing what they uh, are going through on their end, or just the difficulty in getting the results from a CT that you had last week. Just simple things like that. My sister also worked as a, um, a investigator for Adult Protective Services, and and um, so I learned a lot from her as a person, um, just in her service to the community, and um, and uh, and that she's very ins inspirational that way. But um, uh, I learned a lot from her journey uh, and being by her side from uh, diagnosis to hospice to end of life, and. Um, I try to bring those perspectives with me when I come in. Um, yeah. A lot of times, unfortunately, we're the folks that are diagnosing you in the ER uh, with cancer. And so um, I try to bring all those fears and expectations and, and understanding of what that journey might be like for that person um, um, with me uh, when we have those. Great. Thank you for sharing that. I appreciate that very much. I'm going to ask you a few rapid fire questions. So you've done radio, you've done journalism, you've done nursing. What would you be doing if you weren't doing any of those current roles? Oh, you know, all else fails. I'd be a pilot in fly planes. Uh, that was uh, 14 year old me. Uh, I was 14 years old. I was house sitting for my sister who lived right next to an airport uh, in Dallas Port, Washington. And I just rode my bicycle up there one day and started uh, uh, talked my way into starting flying lessons when I was 14. I never finished because they found out I was 14 uh, after uh, about 10 hours of flying, um, which is why I want to go back and, and finish it now. But um, it's something I've been in love with. I've been in love with airplanes uh, forever and ever and ever. And then writing just comes, you know, when writing, uh, writing is one of those things that... Uh, I've done for a living for so long, uh, never intending to be a writer uh, for money, but I, you know, I made my living like that for, for many, many years. But uh, I rather like doing it when I feel like it and not when something's assigned to me. Uh, so I'd rather make my money flying airplanes and, and write for fun. Great. Excellent. Super. So I got three different categories I'm going to ask you about favorites. So a uh, favorite book. Uh, my favorite book is a weird one, but I encourage people who like history to pick it up. It's called uh, A Confederate Raider in the North Pacific uh, by a famous Seattle author whose name escapes me um, right at the moment. But uh, it is about during the Civil War, there was a um, Confederate uh commerce raider that came around to the North Pacific and he single-handedly wiped out the American whaling fleet. Uh, most of it after the Civil War was over and captains kept coming to him and saying, no, the, the Civil War is over. Look, here's a newspaper from San Francisco that says, and he didn't believe them. And so uh, for a year or two after the Civil War was over, he was still uh, uh, burning these whaling ships and, and completely wiped it out. And I love nonfiction i love history that is crazier than anything in a novel and so i read lots and lots of nonfiction, and that's a book it's so well written and it's such a crazy story i've read it multiple times 
Interesting. And Michael, I bet you know who the author is. I was just looking it up while he was speaking. Murray Cromwell Morgan is listed. Yeah, Murray Morgan. Yeah, yeah. Murray Morgan. Murray Morgan is from Seattle. He was stationed in the Aleutian Islands uh, during World War II, and that's how he first heard about the story. And uh, he's also written one of the best uh, histories of the city of Seattle, too, called uh, um, uh, Skid Row. Yeah, so he's he's a, a great writer. He's an old newspaper reporter from uh, the Seattle area. And uh, and that book, if you get a chance to pick it up, it's a it's a fantastic book. Sounds good. Sounds very good. How about a favorite movie? Uh, I love Raising Arizona. Uh, my daughter and her boyfriend were watching it the other night. And every time it's on, I have to sit down and watch it. And um, I love the Coen brothers. That movie there's just not a wasted word or a wasted scene in the entire movie. Everything is just maximum impact and hilarious. And I never get tired of it. So that's one of my all time favorites. Excellent. And how about a favorite song? Oh boy. Um, probably have a little faith in me by John Hyatt. That was another, I was a recording engineer. Uh, I went to recording engineer school uh, very briefly uh in chillicothe ohio back in 1988 and uh that was about the time that that album came out and one of the engineers that were was teaching us there uh came in and played that uh that recruiter produced album and and um it was so clean and so beautiful and and every song on that, that album is amazing but i just love that song super excellent and how about a comfort food or mail that you enjoy so my Mother, when we lived in New Jersey, when I was a very, very little kid, uh, had, we had a neighbor and she taught her, our neighbor, Mrs. DeShulo, taught my mom to make something called pepperoni bread, which is um, three ingredients. It's a pepperoni and provolone cheese stromboli, basically. Very easy to make. Uh, you slice it up. Uh, I get assigned to bring this to any potluck. Uh, but that and then tomato soup is uh, just, that's amazing on a rainy day. I'm with you. I, oh, it sounds good. Sounds good. I just and, need to get invited to your next potluck. Agree. And Ed, any other hobbies or interests that we should know about or you could tell us about? Well, I ride motorcycles. I commute to work by motorcycle. I got about a 35, 40 mile commute. And so I ride motorcycles unless it's snowing or um, uh, pouring down rain sideways. Uh, that's more of a kind of a psychological management tool. It, it relieves my stress. It gives me uh, focus so that I'm not uh, in my own head when I'm going to work or coming home from work. It's really good de-stress as I come home. That's kind of a hobby. I, I also like hiking and um, uh, kayaking. We went kayaking last night on the river where we live here. Uh, I like running. I run half marathons. Um, and so I try to run every single day. So uh, I, and I am trying to teach myself to play banjo. So I have way too many hobbies, my wife says. Oh, that's great. Excellent. Super. And then uh, if the audience, as you said before, like to follow you online, you said you have a redtriage.com and then a Twitter account? Yes, it's also at redtriage. Okay, excellent. Super. Thank you. Well, I want to take this time to thank you, Ed, for joining us for this episode of BCN and Friends. 
Thank you for sharing your time, your stories, and just all around great information. Thank you so much. Well, thank you guys so much for inviting me. It's been very enjoyable. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. And to all our listeners, we hope you'll stay tuned as we continue on with BCN and Friends and bring in new and meaningful content and perspectives. If you have a suggestion for an episode, please email us at bcn at bcn.org. I'm Mark Eggers here with Michael Dexter, and on behalf of the entire BCN team, we thank and celebrate you for all that you are doing as professional nurses across the emergency spectrum. Until next time, 